Well, good morning. If you're visiting Moran Park, my name is Britton, and we're glad that you're with us this morning. We have, a, we have a number of folks that are getting baptized this morning. Hi. <laughs> um, just didn't expect to see you like right there. That was great. Um, we have a number of folks that are, that are going to be baptized this morning, a baptism being the uh, outward expression of an inward commitment and change. And it's something that we just rejoice in that we get to celebrate together in. And so um, I'm going to try, try to talk a little shorter this morning so we have plenty of time for that and to worship together. But it's also a fun time of year because not only there's folks visiting for the baptisms, but while we say goodbye to a lot of our college students as they go home for their Christmas break, it's really fun because some of you are back on your Christmas break. So I look around, I'm like, oh, it's so good to see some faces that we haven't seen in a lot of months. It's good, hi, balcony, a lot of you guys. It's really fun to see you. So it's great to be back together. Um, this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 1. And to catch up to speed, if you're new to Moran Park, for the past, I don't know, like three, four months, the Lord has had us into the season of slowing down and focusing on intimacy with Him. Uh, we get so busy doing, 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 doing that sometimes we forget the, the joy of being with the Lord and the gift of salvation being that we get to know Him and be known by Him. So for this season, we've been in Psalms, uh, really looking at who is the Lord, knowing Him, growing in deeper intimacy. And I praise the Lord for the incredible things that He's done. So the past couple of weeks, we've continued that theme of intimacy, but we've, we've taken a break from the Psalms and we're looking at different uh, parts of the Christmas narrative through the lens of intimacy. And this morning, it's just like the past couple of weeks, the people that we've looked at, we're going to look at Joseph. But Joseph, I believe, is a picture of a life of intimacy, of a deep relationship with the Lord. And so we're going to briefly spend a little time on that. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18 is where we're going to start. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, jump back up to verse 18 with me for a minute. Um, uh, Matthew is writing this, giving an account of what took place at the birth of Jesus. And so it's saying, at this time, uh, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, meaning she was engaged to Joseph. They weren't married yet, but they were, they were preparing to, to, be, to be married. They were engaged. And before they came together, meaning before they had sex, sex together, bluntly that's what it is, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
So as we looked at two weeks ago, Mary, an angel came to the Lord and said, hey, you're going to give birth to a son. And she's like, well, how's this going to work? I'm a virgin. He says, oh, no, no, it's going to be supernatural. It's going to be miraculous. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and cause you to become pregnant. Now, it says next that Joseph finds out she's pregnant. We have no idea how Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. We don't know if it's like, I, I don't, you're gaining a little weight there, right? We don't, we don't know. We don't know if she tells him. But imagine that conversation, right? Hey, I got some news to share with you, Joseph. Um, I'm pregnant. Don't worry. I didn't cheat on you. It's the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, imagine that conversation. And you could, I mean, right, he, she find, he finds out she's pregnant, and you can imagine all the thoughts that are swirling in his mind. He's, he's wrestling like, do I believe her? I mean, that sounds really far-fetched. I mean, for real? I don't know, she seems upright, she seems godly, she seems like she'd tell the truth. But I mean, come on, for real? So he's debating this whole thing in his mind of, of what, what do I do? And it says this, as he's debating what to do, he's in a little bit of a predicament. Verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So it says that he's a just man. Your translation may say he was a righteous man. Because the thing is, he's a man that loves God and wants to live in a way that pleases the Lord. And there is a law in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, it's like 20, 21, 22, somewhere in that ballpark, where it talks about the consequence if someone uh, has sex outside of marriage. And in this case, um, Mary would have been justified in being publicly disgraced and drugged out of the city and stoned to death. Huge consequence. But man, it says... He wants to honor the Lord. He wants to do what's right. But in the meantime, he's like, but he also loves Mary and also has, has a man of honor and honors Mary. So he's trying to think, well, how do I obey this? How do I, how do, I do this? How do I handle the situation? And he has this plan. He's like, I know what I'll do. I'm not going to disgrace her publicly, but I'm not going to marry her. I don't want to stay married to her. I, I am going to divorce her quietly and go about my way. So while he's concocting this plan to do something that's right and noble and honor her and honor the Lord... He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, divorce her quietly, but this is what happens next in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So he goes to sleep that night, and the angel, an angel of the Lord, we don't know which angel this is, an angel of the Lord appears to him and speaks, right? Um, this would have been a big deal in those days. Some of you have had angels that have appeared to you while you're awake. Some of you have had angels that appeared to you while you're asleep. That's cool. Um, it was a big deal and very rare occurrence that an angel would come. And so he goes to sleep and the Lord really gets his attention saying, Hey, I've got an important thing for you to consider. I've got an important thing for you to pay attention to here. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why would he be afraid to take Mary as his wife? Disgrace, right? What are people going to say? You can imagine he could try to play it off. Well, yeah, this is my kid. It's cool. But people are starting to do the math, right? And be like, mm -mm, no. The whisper is starting, right, around town. What about this? What about this? What about the humiliation that he would have uh, brought upon himself, let alone what she would have experienced? I mean, there's even a thought that there's a possibility if there was, he was being accused of the one that was sleeping with her before they were married, there was even a possibility that he could have been stoned as well. I, I wonder even just the fear of like, I want to believe her, but oh, the fear of what if she really did cheat on me? Will she do it again? Oh, the Lord says through this angel, 
do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And then he goes on this huge promise. This is this child that you're going to bear. It's not just any child. This is the, you know, Jesus. You're going to call him Jesus. It means God with us. It's to fulfill this prophecy. And then this is what takes place next. Verse 24. I love this response of Joseph. It says, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. I mean, this response, think about it, right? All of a sudden, you get an angel that speaks to you in the middle of the night, this outrageous thing that says, hey, your wife, she's been pregnant by the Holy Spirit, you're going to have an incredible child. And his response was an immediate obedience. It says right when he woke up from his sleep, he took Mary to be his wife. Now, he didn't sleep with her until the baby came because there didn't want to be any question that this child was not Joseph, but it was the Lord's. Why does Joseph respond this way? Think about it. I mean, right, if it's you or me that this happens to, what's our first response when we wake up? Man, that, was t- that Taco Bell really messed me up last night, right? Bad dream. Bad dream. Like, whoa. Um, we start doubting. Ah, it couldn't have been this. No, that's too outrageous. Oh, that's ridiculous. Oh, come on. Mary, I mean, praying from the Holy Spirit. No way. We start doubting and we start dragging our feet rather than walking in the immediacy of obedience that God asks us to walk in. Like, see, there's this pattern that we see throughout Scripture, not just with Joseph. We see with Mary. We see it all the way throughout Scripture. It's this idea of uh, an acronym we use around here a lot. It's called RICO. Um, any of you ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? You're like, I'm not admitting to that, right? <laughs> right. This is how I remember it. There's this guy, right, Uncle Rico in there, talking about throwing a football over them, their mountains, right, that guy? So RICO... You won't forget it now. That's why I bring up Uncle Rico. Um, Rico stands for radical, immediate, costly obedience. See, this pattern that we see in Scripture and we see in Joseph's life is one of radical, immediate, costly obedience. What the Lord was telling him to do was incredibly costly. It was going to ruin his reputation. It could take his life. It was, it, was, it was incredibly costly. And he does it, but he does it immediately. And I think one of the things in our culture, unfortunately, is that obedience gets a bad rap. We're like, oh, intimacy with the Lord. I love the Lord. I'm just going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to pour my heart on the Lord. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. And then it's like, oh, time for obedience. Wah, 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 right? And we, we treat them as they're, they're totally different things. Is, uh, and the reality of it is I believe that obedience and intimacy are different sides of the same coin. See, intimacy is what starts it, but it, what should flow out of that is a heart of obedience to the Lord. I and mean, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 15. I think this is actually on the board. Hmm. It is. And this is what it says. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. But how often do we read this through a very religious and legalistic lens that's like, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Where it's just holding it over. You better prove it. You love me? Prove it. Do what I say. When in essence, I don't think this is what Jesus is saying at all. I think it's much more of a heart of love of saying, Oh, if you love me, you will keep my commands. When you love someone, what, what flows out of you is a heart and a desire to actually want to do what they say. Think about it in your marriage, right? Hopefully this is the case in your marriage. That you want to serve your spouse not because you get something in exchange, but because you love them. 
How often in a relationship, though, do we do it like a contract? So you say, all right, I'll do the dishes, I'll take out the trash, and I'll change the diaper if you mow the lawn, clean the bathroom, and let's toss in making the bed, right? Well, no, no, that doesn't work. That's not equal. How about we do that, but you also add, right, vacuuming the living, whatever it may be, right? We often treat obedience as this obligatory thing we have to do because it's terrible. No, no, our heart should be, when our heart is set ablaze and love for someone, it's we can't contain ourselves, but we want to pour a love upon the other person, not based on trying to get something, but as a response to love. I think oftentimes in a very religious context, we feel like we have to obey, obey, obey to try to earn love rather than obedience being a response to God's love. Right? This is how God loved us. It says this in, a, in it's like Romans um, 5. While we were still sinners, or God loved us. I'm just going to read it. So you're going to try to quote it, and it's all not going to work. Let's just pray. It's Romans 5. <laughs> yes. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? While, because of his great love for us, that love led him towards action. When we love someone, it should lead us towards action. I have a little brother. I have a, I have a couple of little brothers. And he's not so little anymore. But um, my, my brother, a couple weeks back, ran the Chicago Marathon. That's messed up. You're a runner? That is messed up, right? So... I wasn't able to go watch him, but um, some of my other family members were there to watch him, and his girlfriend went to go watch him. Now, he and his girlfriend, they've been dating like six months at the time. And my brother had a knee injury prior to when he was going to run the race, so he couldn't really train that much toward the end. His knee was in pretty bad shape, but he's committed, I'm going to run the Chicago Marathon. So he's running the race, but all of a sudden, the last few miles to go, his body just shuts down. Knee's all messed up, and he wants, he wants to quit. So what happens? His girlfriend sees him a few miles to go. She's, wear, she's not even wearing running shoes or running clothes. She's wearing like Keds or something, right? And she jumps out and she runs with him the last number of miles all the way to the end. And I'm like, dude, that girl is a keeper, right? <laughs> I love my wife and I wouldn't do that. But, um, Yeah. But why, but why did his girlfriend jump out? Not because, oh, I got to prove to him how much I love him. I got to pay him back for something. But it was his natural instinct because she loves him. It's like, oh, he's in trouble. I want to serve him and I want to love him. See, the Lord is calling us into obedience. But he's not calling us into this drudgery of this obedience. of like, fine, Lord, I, oh, I got to do this for you. It's like when our heart is captured, oh, the Lord, he's worth it. Oh, look what the Lord's done for me. I can't wait that I get the opportunity to serve you and love you. It says this in 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this. For this is the love of God, or it says the love for God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. How often as Christians do we say, oh, God is great, we love him, he fills us with joy, and then we do what he tells us to do, we walk around in such drudgery. Our obedience to the Lord should be done in such great joy and affection and adoration because it can be done as a response to our love for him, not to earn some kind of love for him. Like, this has been really awesome to watch, Marion Park. 
as, as, a, as, a, as a community, as a family, as we've grown in deeper intimacy with the Lord, I continue to hear more and more stories of you saying, it was awesome. I was reading the word and God spoke to me. I was praying and the Lord spoke to me and this is what he said to do. I was reading the word and it says this is his word to do and I just knew I needed to go do it. As you are growing in a deeper love for the Lord, your heart is being set ablaze to then do what he tells you to do. But I will warn you with this. Do not be fooled into thinking that, oh, it's based on my emotion or how I feel. There's going to be days where you do not feel like walking in obedience. There's going to be days the Lord tells you to do something, and it's, not, it, it's, it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Sometimes I think we forget we are better off than these characters in, in uh, the Christmas story. Sometimes I think we think, well, if I just had an angel that showed up to me, and the angel would talk to me, then I would be so excited to do what the Lord says. You see, yes, it's true that angels still show up and talk to us. Angels still come around and do amazing things. But we have it better than Joseph did, is that we have the actual indwelling of the Lord Jesus Christ himself that dwells within us. That's the thing about the Christmas story. It says, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That Jesus, that God with us, wasn't just when Jesus walked the earth. It says that now in Christ, we are in Christ Jesus when we give our lives to him. That's what we celebrate in these baptisms today. That old sinful self is being put to death. And that new person is being raised up in Christ. We are now united in Christ. He dwells within us. He speaks to us all the time. But the beauty of the gospel is now it's not I gotta, it's not, I gotta try harder and try harder and try harder to be obedient. But it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who dwells within me. So those days you don't feel like walking in obedience, the Lord doesn't say try harder and make it work. It says go to him in our weaknesses. I don't really feel like it today. But I praise you that the one who walked perfectly in obedience dwells within me. I do not love you well today, God, but I praise you that the one in me loved you perfectly. May that be manifest in me. Like, seriously, even with your spouse. I can't stand up here and say, I love my wife perfectly and I'm all about butterflies every single day. But those days I don't feel like it. It's not like I muster through it or try harder. I'm going to choose to love her. I'm going to choose to serve her. But at the same time, it says, God, would you set my heart ablaze for her today? God, I don't feel like walking with you, God. I don't feel like spending time with you today, God. I don't feel like doing what you asked me to do. It's not, well, I got to try harder and fake it till I make it. It's saying, I can't do this today, but I praise you, Jesus, that you dwell within me and you give me the grace and everything I need to do what you've asked me to do. Like, my, my prayer for us here in Marant Park is that obedience would not be this drudgery, but an opportunity that we get to watch and see the Lord's faithfulness. Because it's one thing, right? When you go spend time with the Lord and intimacy with the Lord, and he says all these things, he speaks these promises to you, but the only way that you see these promises in action is by actually walking in action and walking them out. The Lord can say, I'm the provider, but how do you know if he's the provider? By doing what he says to show his provision. God says, I'm the sustainer. How do you know he's the sustainer? By walking out what he says to see him sustained in that situation. Our obedience leads us to greater worship and affection and praise of this God that we follow. I believe the Lord is taking us not in place of intimacy with the Lord, but in addition to intimacy with the Lord, that we would walk in obedience to what he says, just like Joseph did. But I'll tell you, this is cultivated by a lifestyle of intimacy with the Lord. Joseph knew that God fulfilled his promises because he walked in intimacy. That's why he could trust him to do what he wanted to do. 
in this season where the Lord has us focusing on intimacy with the Lord, and in this Christmas season we focus on who the Lord is, that our, our, my prayer is that we would see the Lord for who he is and grow in an understanding of a deeper knowledge and intimacy with him so that when he says to do something, we would get to do it not out of this obligation, but out of this joy and delight and worship of him. That's what baptism is. So today we're celebrating baptism. And baptism is really a step of obedience. Baptism doesn't earn these people anything. As we say around here, baptism is not a step of graduation. It's a step of initiation. It's the beginning of saying, oh, my heart is yours. My life is yours. I'm committed to walking with you. It doesn't say, hey, I've got it all figured out. It doesn't say I'm never going to sin again. It doesn't say I'm never going to make a mistake. It simply says... My old sinful self, I, I'm dead to walking in my own ways, my own boss. I'm committed to turning towards you and receiving your forgiveness and grace. It's saying my life is on, no longer mine. I'm now dead and my life is now in Christ. It is Christ now who dwells in me and lives in me. It is saying just as Jesus rose from the dead, coming up out of the water, saying we too will raise from the dead once again when Jesus Christ returns and we will be raised up with him in a new heaven and a new earth. So today we get to celebrate with these individuals their step of obedience. And they're not being coerced in this. It's out of a heart of just love and adoration and a simple step to say, Oh God, I'm yours. I love you. Thanks for all you've done. Let's pray. Oh, God, that you would continue to fill us with a deep love and intimacy with you. And God, we thank you for the grace to then do what you've asked us to do. God, for those of us that have cold hearts this morning, that you would set them ablaze. For those that are in bondage of trying to prove their love to you or earn their love from you, God, that you would set them free this morning. God, that we would be people that walk in joyful obedience. God, as we watch these baptisms today, would you increase our faith? That we'd be encouraged by their testimony and we would think what, we would realize what you've done for them, God, you want to do for us as well. We thank you for the way that you've um, opened the eyes of the blind, God, the way the enemy blinds the eyes of unbelievers. We thank you for the way that you've opened up the eyes of hearts to see you, Jesus, for who you clearly are. We thank you, God, for wooing us to yourself. We thank you for drawing us to yourself. We thank you for the power of life change, that this life change isn't because they tried hard enough or because they followed some right principles to get a better life, but we thank you, God, that you've put to death the old life and you've made them new. We thank you for the newness of life that you give us in Christ Jesus. God, would you build our faith and our hope and our, and our joy as we hear the testimonies of the incredible work that you've done in these individual lives. We pray this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.